Amen. Good morning, Grace Hill. How's everyone? How's every, everyone? Okay. All right. That still wasn't good. That's all right. Uh, it's good to see every one of you. Uh, thanks for making your way down to the cafeteria. Uh, I kind of like worshiping in here, to be honest with you. Um, can hear everybody sing, so it's, it's really nice. Um, this is your first time here. My name is Alan. I am one of the pastors here at Grace Hill, and I'd love to be able to meet you after the service. What we're going to do right now is get into God's word together. Um, and so this morning, we're wrapping up uh, a really long sermon series that we've been in for a long time. So I'm kind of going to be reading from several different scriptures. And so the first one's going to be in Matthew 28. If you want to uh, get your Bible into that place, and then we're going to go to Matthew 24 and Revelation 7. So you can kind of follow along on the screen behind me, um, or if you want to use your phone app, that's uh, fine as well. But, you know, I believe it was April 28th of this year that we started this sermon series called King Jesus. And so uh, today it's November 10th, I believe we're in part 22 of the series and the final sermon in this Series And here's why I wanted uh, to spend the better part of a year preaching on the fact that Jesus is our true king. It's because your joy in life, your contentment in life, your sweet spot in life, where, where everything is working the way you were created in your soul and your mind and your heart, where everything is kind of working towards the creative purpose that you've been given, all of that is found in giving your entire life, submitting everything, holding nothing back uh, to Jesus as your king. And uh, I know you've noticed that I've been pounding this uh, day in and day out or week in and week out uh, into our heads and into our hearts that your joy is found in following Jesus. Your joy is found in him being the king of your life. His word is for your joy. His commands are for your joy. Your joy is found in making him the center of your story. And so I just, I feel like every week I've just been wanting to try to explain this from a different angle, walking through the Bible, showing you that, that it's better to, to love Jesus more than your money, or it's better to love Jesus more than your career and aspirations. It's better to love Jesus than anything else in this world. And that's what we said all the way at the beginning, that in love, God created you, he created me, not to be the center of your story. He created you not to be the center of your own story, because we are image bearers of God. We bear his image. Our purpose in life is to represent him, to live for him. That's our creative sweet spot. And that is what we were designed to do. And so as we conclude this series, what I, what I just want to make abundantly clear as we wrap all of this up is that the purpose that you have been given in life is exactly this. That, that this is exactly what Jesus wants you to do until he returns. And I just want to make that purpose abundantly clear. A purpose that if we prioritize this one thing, then we will live a life of joy. Not a life without hardship, but indeed a life of joy. 
And so to order to understand this purpose, as we wrap all of this up, what I want us to understand this morning is the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Uh, the kingdom of God is obviously where God is king and the kingdom of this world is where everyone thinks that they are their own king. And every single person in this world, including every one of us in this room, was born as a citizen of the kingdom of this world. We were born with a nature that is opposed to God. We don't naturally live for God. We naturally live for ourselves. We naturally live with ourselves at the center of our story. And it's what we call the fall. The world is broken and mankind is alienated from God. You don't need to observe the world for that long to see that we're, we're pretty self-centered people naturally and there's a lot of brokenness in this place. But our God is a God who wants to change all of that. He's a God who wants to restore all of this back to what he created this place to be. And so he puts together this divine rescue plan that we've been studying where he sends his son, Jesus, who would come, he would save us from our sin. And what he would do is change our citizenship from being a member of the kingdom of this world to being a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so the, the kingdom of God is comprised of, of all of the people who have acknowledged that, yes, I'm, I'm sinful. God, I have lived my life for myself. I have not lived it for you. And they have placed their trust in Christ and what he did so that they could have forgiveness of their sins. And what has happened there is then their relationship with God is repaired. It's restored, and they are now a citizen of God's kingdom. And they live their lives now with Jesus as their king, seeking to follow his word. And the kingdom of this world is comprised of all of the people who just continue to reject Jesus and live opposed to God. And over the last two weeks, what we've been talking about is we've been studying that, that one day Jesus is going to return and he is going to eliminate the kingdom of this world and he's going to establish in full the kingdom of God. So two weeks ago, we read from Revelation 17 to 19 and we studied how when Jesus returns, he is going to judge the kingdom of this world and he's gonna get rid of all that is sinful in the world. It will be gone. And last week, Nick preached and we studied Revelation 20 to 21 and we just gazed upon what the new heavens and new earth is gonna be like when Jesus brings the kingdom in its fullness and we just, we saw that it's going to be a place with perfect peace, uh, perfect joy, no more sin, no more loneliness, no more struggle, no more addiction, no more stress or anxiety. It's going to be perfect peace. And so here's what I want you to understand as we think about these two kingdoms. We need to understand where we are today in God's plan of redemption. If it's a timeline, where are we today? Because in the first coming of Jesus, Jesus came, he went to the cross, he rose from the dead in order to make a way for people like us, for, for sinners, to become citizens of God's kingdom. 
to have our sin forgiven, to be restored, to be made children of God. That's what he did at his first coming. Then he went back up to be with the father and at his second coming, which we're still waiting for, All of that's going to be finished. Jesus is going to get rid of the kingdom of this world and establish his kingdom in its fullness for all of eternity. So we're in this space between the two advents, comings of Jesus Christ. And in this space of time, it's possible for people to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and have their citizenship changed from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God and be able to have the promise of eternity in God's kingdom. And so, so here's the deal. Understanding this, where we are in this timeline of God's redemptive story, understanding this is crucial to understanding what your purpose is in your life. It's crucial to understanding what God wants you to spend your time doing. It's crucial to us understanding what our purpose is corporately as a church, like what God wants us to do here in Herndon and Northern Virginia. This is crucial to understanding what the church actually is because the church is not just a bunch of mini theaters where you hear some good worship and a sermon. The church is not a holy huddle of people that judge the immoral people of the world. The church is not a community service center. No, the church are these local groups of individuals who are citizens of God's kingdom and not citizens of the kingdom of this world. And these people, they trust Jesus. They follow his word. He is their king. They commit to one another as they wait for Jesus to return. But these little groups of people scattered throughout the world, they don't just wait together, but they've been given a mission, a mandate from Jesus himself, a purpose for this life, both corporately as a church and individually. They've all been given this purpose as they wait for the second coming of Christ. And that mission is what we call the Great Commission. And we read that in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Look at these verses with me. This is after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He's about to ascend to be with the Father and he tells this to his disciples. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I'm king. I'm the one who rules the world. And this is what I want to tell you because I'm king. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Here's your purpose. Go, like fan out, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until when? Till the end of the age. Till when I return and establish my kingdom in its fullness. But while you're waiting, this is what you are going to do. Jesus is sending his church on a global mission. Like go to every corner of the kingdom of this world and I want you to plant and establish embassies that represent the kingdom of God. 
I want there to be these outposts, these things that we call the church, these outposts all over the world with the mission of proclaiming the gospel of God's kingdom and seeing people saved, transferred from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God while there's still time before Jesus returns. That's the mission. And this is exactly why in 2 Corinthians chapter five, Paul, Paul calls us as Christians ambassadors. We are ambassadors representing Christ. God has an appeal to people he wants to make through us. So we have these little home bases called embassies scattered throughout the world, the church, and we serve as ambassadors to proclaim the gospel of God's kingdom. In fact, Jesus tells us that he's not going to return until we fulfill this and the gospel goes to every people group in the world. This is Matthew 24, verse 14. Look at this verse uh, on the screen behind me. Jesus says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. God's kingdom is going to be comprised of every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every ethnicity in this world. And this gospel must go to every corner of this world until before Christ will come. And you know what that means is that heaven is going to be the most diverse, most multi-ethnic, multicultural experience of your life. And that's the vision that we're given of what the new heavens and new earth is like. Real fast, read with me, Revelation chapter seven, verses nine to 10. This is a vision of what that place is gonna look like. It says this, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, Jesus, clothed in white robes, all of them, they're righteous with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, all of these people from all over the world, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. So, as we read in Matthew 24, Christ is, is going to come back once we fill the, the Great Commission at some point, all right? We're not gonna be able to calculate that. We, we won't know when he's gonna come back, but we know we have to fulfill the Great Commission. The gospel's gotta get out to everybody in the world so that this vision of Revelation 7 will be a reality. And the New Testament is so clear that the way we are going to fulfill this great commission is through planting and establishing churches all over the world, in every neighborhood, on every street, that will act as kingdom embassies. Outposts comprised of kingdom citizens who live with Jesus as their king, who have the hope of the gospel in them and are seeking to share that hope with their neighbors. That's the purpose that God has given us as we wait for his return. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your purpose right here. This is our purpose as a church. This is actually where your joy is found, 
organizing your life around this. And there's so much inside of us that thinks, no, that's actually gonna rob me of joy. That's something that's hard to do. But the paradox is, no, this is where your joy is found. And this is what God has called us to do at Grace Hill Church, to be an embassy for the kingdom of God, to proclaim the gospel here to Herndon in Northern Virginia and to work towards multiplying even more churches here in our area and globally around the world. Uh, This is why we financially support networks like the New City Network that resources church plants here in the DC metro area. It's why we support networks like the Summit Network that resource church plants nationally and internationally. This is why we support Logan Douglas, who's planting a church in Iceland, or we support Noah Joyner, who's training pastors in the Dominican Republic and in Haiti. And we hope to onboard more missionaries and church planters to support, but we want to be helping to resource and fund people pushing the gospel around the world. This is why I pray every single week that God would raise up people from within our congregation. Look to your left and right, that's y'all. To plant churches or to go overseas to preach the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel before. We at Grace Hill Church have a part to play in finishing the mission that Jesus himself has sent us on and even told us must be finished before he will return. And so here's what I wanna do for the rest of our time uh, this morning is I I wanna talk about how we live this purpose out together as a church in our local area, and also how all of us live this out individually in our neighborhoods. Because Jesus has sent us each to our own neighborhoods, and he has sent Grace Hill Church here to this area for the purpose of pushing the gospel into dark places right here. And whether we're doing that in our neighborhoods or we're doing that corporately as a church, there are three essential components to pushing the gospel out to those who do not believe that we need to talk about. And if we do not balance these three components, then we're not gonna effectively fulfill the mission that God has sent us on. And what I wanna do is actually wanna show you how if we get unbalanced with these three components then we're not accurately going to represent Jesus as king and his gospel. So three essential components to pushing the gospel out, both as a church and individually in your own neighborhoods. We're gonna look at these three. So here's number one. The first component to getting the gospel out is this, is a kingdom presence, a kingdom presence. Um, I'll never forget several years ago, I was, uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, at a conference for pastors. It was a, there was about 8,000 uh, pastors there at this conference. Um, it was about three days long, and it was filled with worship and lots of preaching and breakouts and enjoying good food and hanging out in the city, connecting with other pastors, all of that. And I remember it was the last day of the conference, and a, a man named Al Muller, who is the president of Southern Seminary, Um, was praying to close the conference because it was ending. And in his prayer, he said something that I've never forgotten. He prayed this. He He said, God, I pray 
that this city felt the warm presence of thousands of gospel people within its borders for the last few days. That prayer convicted me uh, because it made me ask myself, how have I represented Christ during my stay here in, in Louisville? Sure, I was there for a pastor's conference, but the thought never crossed my mind that this conference may have an impact on the city and the hotel staff and the restaurant staff and Uber drivers and, and all of that while we were here. But, but what convicted me the most was that phrase, a, a warm presence of gospel people. And when I talk about our presence impacting the city, I'm I'm not talking about a bunch of people cornering folks and awkwardly proselytizing them. I'm not talking about making people feel guilty for the way they live their lives or for their sin. But, but more so, was our presence a warm presence? Did the city feel the impact of 8,000 people who have the fruit of the Spirit in them, supposedly? People who are loving meaning they're willing to lay down their own desires for others. People who are joyful. People who are peaceful and patient and kind. And then I began to think about our church. Is our church this kind of warm presence in our community? And then what about our homes? Is my home a warm presence in my neighborhood? Uh, in the book of Jeremiah, we read about the Babylonians invading Jerusalem and carrying off into exile thousands and thousands of God's people. So you have thousands of people who belong to God and their home is the promised land, Jerusalem, Israel, right? That's where they belong. But they're now exiles living in Babylon, forcibly kidnapped and taken over. They still belong to God, but they're no longer living in Jerusalem. And in chapter 29 of Jeremiah, God instructs Jeremiah, who's a prophet, to write a letter to these people living in exile in order to give them instructions from the Lord. These are instructions for how God's people should live while they are in exile, living where they do not belong. All right, look at these instructions. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses four to seven. Says this, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's the instructions, verse five. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Verse seven, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. God is saying, I know these people invaded your home. I know they kidnapped you and carried you off into exile, but I want you to be a warm presence in Babylon. 
I want you to seek the welfare, work for the welfare, pray for the welfare of Babylon while you're there. I want Babylon to feel the presence of gospel people in their city. Uh, Last week, uh, Nick preached on the word shalom in the Bible. It's a word that uh, we really don't have an English equivalent. Um, It's kind of this, it communicates kind of this holistic body, soul, and mind, peace, joy, and harmony. Just this whole peace is what shalom means. Shalom is how the Bible describes the garden in the beginning chapters and how it describes the new heavens and new earth in the final chapters of the Bible. And the word welfare here in Jeremiah 29 is an inadequate attempt to translate the word shalom. But the text here says, seek the shalom of Babylon. Pray for the shalom of Babylon. And as a church, this is our calling here in Herndon, in Northern Virginia, that we would seek the shalom of our town. Uh, This means that where there are needs, we seek to meet those needs at our expense. Where there is injustice, we don't ignore it and we step towards that. Where there's poverty and suffering, we show mercy. This means we just don't focus on what's going on in this room on Sunday mornings, but we focus on how we are a kingdom presence in this town. To be a kingdom presence in a town means we live our lives as if we're already in God's kingdom and we treat other people as if they are in God's kingdom because we want our presence to give people a taste of God's kingdom here and now which means our conduct, the way we treat people, the way we care for people, our patience, our reasonableness, our integrity, that's, it's a big deal when it comes to our witness. This is our calling as a church. This is, our, this is your calling in your neighborhood to have this kind of presence in your neighborhood. And sometimes I fear that, that churches and Christians we're just so focused on our own affairs that we, we just virtually, we have no presence to those who don't know Jesus. It's just, you know, there's a church building sitting on the side of the road, but does anyone know anyone that goes there? Do they impact the town at all? Or, or even just think of our homes and our neighborhoods. Do people know that gospel people live in that house? I just think my prayer for us as a church, my prayer for my own household in our neighborhood is that we just be one of those churches and we'd be those kind of people here in Herndon where, where people say, I don't know if I agree with everything they preach, but those are some of the most warm, gracious, helpful, caring people I've ever met. And having that kind of presence in our town and in our neighborhoods is exactly what gives credibility to our message, which is our next essential component. Essential component number two is this, to to getting the gospel out is faithful proclamation. Jesus was very clear in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 that he wants us to proclaim to the world what he said. Right? In other words, Jesus is not interested in any of us creating original content. 
Jesus is looking for us to be messengers who delivered the exact message that he gave us. All right, so here's the message, all right? Simplified, I mean, it's all here, but simplified down, the gospel message of Jesus that needs to be proclaimed to the world is all of mankind has sinned against God and is alienated from him and deserves judgment. But God in his grace and mercy sent his son Jesus to rescue us from our sin. He went to the cross to pay for our sins and he rose again from the dead to give us eternal life. And all who confess their sin and trust in Christ for their salvation will be saved by grace and given eternal life in the kingdom of God. That's the message. And for some reason, it's tempting to change that message. You know, maybe we have a hard time with the concept of grace and, and we want a gospel that gives us more control. So we change the message to be more about our behavior than about God's grace. And so the message we proclaim is moralism and not the grace of God. Or maybe we don't like the idea that all of us are sinners that need a savior that deserve God's judgment, that is an offensive message. It, it does mean you have to say there's something wrong with us, which our culture does not like. And so we don't wanna to have to deliver that message or maybe even apply that message to ourselves. So we change the message to some kind of fluff where you know, we just say, hey, Jesus, he's gonna save everyone and there's nothing wrong with you and don't worry about anything, but he'll figure it out. I don't know. It's just a fluff message that has nothing to it. But in order to get the gospel out, we, we must faithfully proclaim the true gospel message and not change it. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says this in verse 2. He says, we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. All right, the reason why it's critical that we are faithful to proclaim the true message of the gospel with our mouths is because God in his wisdom has decided to use us to get the message out. That's his method. He sent us out to get the message out. And this message of the gospel is the power of God for salvation. As Romans 1.16 says, it's God's message to save people. And he wants us to proclaim it with our mouths. And so as a church, it's critical that we preach a faithful gospel and we do not stray from preaching a gospel that our culture finds more acceptable. And all of us in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, everywhere else where we build relationships with people, we have to understand that God has sovereignly positioned us to have relationships with people who do not know Christ so that they can hear this message. I mean, think about this. Just, just think about this. And I've said it before. I'm gonna always say this again and again. Think of the enormity of God's grace upon the life of the people in your neighborhood and at your workplace who do not know Jesus, that he has put them, placed them in close proximity to a citizen of the kingdom of God who knows the gospel, you. 
How sad would it be if that message never was proclaimed, given of the proximity that you have to to people who don't know Jesus? Did you catch that in Jeremiah 29 where God said to Israel, I sent you to Babylon. This was was me. Part of that was consequences for their unfaithfulness and part of that was mission. God has called us to use our mouths to proclaim this message to those in our path. But here's the deal. It is critical that we hold these two first essential components, right? Presence and proclamation in proper balance. It's easy to be a church that wants to be a warm presence in the community or for us to want to be a warm presence in our neighborhood, but be very timid and very slow to speak any sort of gospel message to people. And the reason why this imbalance is problematic is because we're never actually loving our neighbors. We're kind of pretending to love them. If we really believe the gospel and that there is salvation only found in Jesus and we never communicate that to our neighbors, but we focus more on having a warm presence, then we probably are actually more concerned about our neighbor's approval and what they think about us than we are them. At the same time, what's probably even more damaging is when we are strong and bold in our proclamation of the gospel, but we have no warm presence with people. We try and get them to believe this message, but we're not people who are loving or joyful or peaceful or patient or kind. We don't go out of our way to meet people's needs where we can, or we're not willing to sacrifice our own comfort and money and time to care for others, but we'll be bold with our message. I mean, what kind of kingdom would that be giving them a taste of? But when we enter a community with a true kingdom presence and we're faithful to proclaim the message of the gospel, you know what we do is we create a conundrum for people. Because they're hearing a message that's hard to believe, but they see a vision of a kingdom that they were created by God to belong to. And so they just might listen. But just kingdom presence and faithful proclamation is not enough to push the gospel out. Here's the third essential component to getting the gospel out is this fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. We do not have the ability to change hearts, to change minds, to cause people to believe. It does not matter how skilled we become at our proclamation. It does not matter how much we love people and meet their needs. God must perform a miracle for people to hear the gospel, see the vision of the kingdom, and believe. When you trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that was miraculous. And I can't explain to you how that works along with free will, and I'm not going to try. We're not going to go there. But what I know is that the gospel will not gain traction if God's people do not hit their needs and pray that God would save people. In Acts 16, Paul begins to um, share the gospel with this woman named Lydia. He's in Philippi. And I just love what the text says. Uh, This is uh, verses 14 and 15. Uh, It says, uh, as Lydia listened to us, Paul and his Silas, I believe, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying and then their household got 
baptized. And if we're trying to push the gospel out to our community and our neighborhoods, if we're trying to push the gospel out all over the world, God must do this open the heart thing. I can't fully explain it, but he's got to do it. And we need to fervently pray that he would do it. And if we have a kingdom presence and we're faithful to proclaim the gospel, but we do not pray that God would save specific people, we're not gonna see fruit. This is why uh, several weeks ago, Nick and I, we, uh, one of the things we've started to do is we've started to fast on Wednesdays and spending our lunch hour praying specifically for this. We pray for specific people by name to believe the gospel. We pray for our own neighbors. We pray for people we've met around the community. We pray for the students and the teachers and faculty of this school by name. We pray for more conversions in this church, people coming from death to life. We pray for all of you that you would have opportunities, divine appointments from God to share your faith. I've prayed literally, God, would you just give people softballs? Right? They're just standing there, they're having a conversation and someone just, hey, what do I need to do to be saved? Just softball it. We pray that our church would have a kingdom presence and we'd be faithful to proclaim the gospel. And we want fasting and praying on Wednesdays to become something that we do together as a church from this point forward. And so that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to join us in this. If you're able to peel away during your lunch break, come by our office from 12 to one on Wednesdays, come on over and pray with us. We're gonna be doing it every Wednesday. But if even if you can't, you can't peel away, take some time at your lunch on Wednesdays to be praying for these specific things because we need to be a church that is faithful to pray that God would save people and that the gospel would get pushed into dark places in this town. And so let's take Wednesdays to do this. Put that in your calendar. You're gonna hear us talk about it a lot, but we need to be faithful to pray from this point forward that God would save people. Grace Hill, Jesus uh, is our king. And our joy is found in following him and he has sent us on a mission as we wait for him to return. This gospel needs to get pushed out to every corner of this earth before he returns. Jesus came the first time to make a way that people could be saved and welcome into his kingdom. And when he returns, he's gonna do away with the kingdom of this world. And so let's love and sacrifice for our neighbors through our presence, through our proclamation, and by being faithful to pray. And so let's pray for that right now. Pray with me. Father, as we wrap up this series, uh, God, I just pray that for every one of us, you would begin to do a work of giving us eyes that see people differently. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, we from now on regard nobody according to the flesh, meaning that everybody has a spiritual reality. They are either a citizen of the kingdom of this world or a citizen of the kingdom of God. And God, would you break our hearts for people who do not know you? 
would you by your spirit do something in our heart that just grows this love for our neighbors? A broken heart for our neighbors who do not know you. And Lord, would that just first just drive us to our knees? Praying faithfully, God, would you open people's hearts? Would you make them curious about the gospel? Would you give me opportunities to be able to share? Would you give me boldness to share? Would you help me to get over whatever obstacles inside of my heart that prevent me from sharing? God, would you begin to to build that hunger inside of us for our neighbors who don't know you? God, I pray that we as a church, we would see people more and more and more give their lives to Jesus and be baptized that we would see lives change. Lord, I pray that you would just bring a wave of conversions in this church and it would be everything that we focus on because we have so many people who are coming from death to life that, Lord, we have so many people to love and care for and disciple and send out on their own mission. But Lord, I just pray that starting today, you would begin to just grow that hunger to see people come to know you before you return. And God, we pray for all of the people that we support who are currently pushing this gospel throughout the world. God, give them encouragement, give them favor, go before them with your spirit, open people's hearts that they may come to know you. We love you, Jesus. We praise you for saving us, bringing us into your family. Help us to live with you as our king. In Christ's name, amen.